this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today, I know I'm really inconsistent with this, but I thought I'd do a little Wrist Fluent Diary episode. Let's jump into the intro, and then we'll get into it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluid. What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is the YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button and the bell and all of the magical algorithm thingamajiggies. My name is James McPherson. I am the MD and lead consultant of Risk Fluent, which is a company that sits behind Rebranding Safety. So if you need any support about any of the things we talk about on Rebranding Safety, YouTube or podcast, check out riskfluentltd.com or drop me an email, james at riskfluentltd.com. Let's do a diary episode. I like the idea of these, but if I'm honest, I'm, I'm so inconsistent at the minute. We are so busy that it's just hard to kind of keep up. But when we did start Risk Fluent, we did want to make sure that we are consistent on rebound safety. So hold our hands up and uh, we will make sure we are staying consistent because there's a hell of a lot of you out there that listen to us slash watch us week in, week out, and you're a massive part of of risk fluent being able to do um able to for, for us to be busy so it's kind of like a what's what's bill rod for your own back what's the uh what's the posh saying for that anyway can't remember so part of us not being able to do rebound and safety consistently I, I mean we've only missed a couple of weeks here there and there but part of that is because of the success of rebound safety is is kind of turning into work which is really good really nice but I would actually say one of the main reasons we struggle to say stay consistent, maybe less so with, with YouTube and the podcast, but definitely less visible on LinkedIn and, and other social media platforms, but predominantly LinkedIn, I just come kind of disillusioned with it all, if I'm honest. Like, I find LinkedIn one of two things at the moment, extremely toxic or bullshit like it's just no in between like it's either just a complete just bullshit <laughs> just like, I'm reading something I'm like that's not true I, I don't know just half of it gives me half of it 90% of it gives me the ick like it really does and and to be honest most of the things that give me icks are people that moan about icks that on LinkedIn that's all over the place I, so many people on there just like I don't know like self-promoting which I'm, I'm kind of okay with people self-promoting because that is kind of what the platform is for so I don't want to come across as that guy that's like oh you can't promote yourself because you can promote yourself but it's just fucking everywhere and, and it's just it's also like half of it is bullshit like when I'm on LinkedIn and I see the head of X company praising and raving about how amazing they are. And then one of my customers is their subcontractor. And that's happened three times now. And I just think, what the fuck? One of their, one of their subcontractors is my customer, sorry. There we go. I, and I'm just like, huh? 
and the world that I'm seeing, that my customer is seeing, is completely different to what they're preaching on LinkedIn. And and I just all I'm seeing everywhere is just fucking workers done workers imagined in a way. Safety done as safety imagined, safety is imagined, and safety is done, so to speak. The world of kind of bickering and arguing and, and and again I'm not I'm not against having debates I actually quite I think that's really good I love a good debate and I think it's really healthy but I'm not sure we have healthy debates on LinkedIn anymore but the caliber of stuff we're discussing on LinkedIn is is about a million light years away from the working reality of most small businesses nowhere near nowhere near and I think a lot of us and me previously included in that, work for medium to large, probably large to super large businesses. And we're talking about, oh, should we call it safety culture or not? Should we do home performance safety differently, blah, blah, blah. And, and do you know what? Like 80, 80 to 90% of the British economy is, is micro to small businesses. And they don't give a shit. They get it. They really do get it. I'd say there were more people centered than most of the big businesses out there that that speak the speak on LinkedIn and so on. But nah, all the way down before I got all the way down from the the shop floor that this is just absolute miles away. So I've become very like just kind of fed up with it. Just going on LinkedIn and then being like within thirty seconds of being on LinkedIn, just being like, nah, fuck this. I'm I'm off. Like. I just look at it and I just think half these people on here are just living in a different world. Now, I think it was Dan Wilkins that dropped me a message when I kind of alluded to this when I was talking to Stephen Harris. He said, you know, like, reconfigure your, your, you know, your following, your group or whatever you call them, your connections, um, and, and, you know, reset it. To be honest, I've done that loads of times. It's just, it's the platform. It's the platform. Um, and it's not just a platform, it's kind of the world at the minute. So I've become very disillusioned with LinkedIn and social media and safety as a collective from there. I've always been quite disillusioned from the big bodies of, of, of safety anyway. Um, but yeah, when I go on LinkedIn, I've just been like, Ugh. so that's kind of had a knock on effect with rebranding safety that the motivation has not really been there because I just think, ugh, yeah, that's it really. I just kind of go, ugh, <laughs> been about two seconds of being on that. Um, the next thing is I kind of become kind of disillusioned with it because I'm, I'm, I still don't think that safety is a profession, particularly the, the, the wider. I think the people that listen to Rebound Safety definitely feedback at how valuable it is. And that means a hell of a lot to us because that's why we do this. And don't get me wrong, Yes, it's an advert for risk flow. One hundred percent. I'm not. I've never been afraid to admit that and say that. And I think anyone that says, "Oh, we just do this podcast, just help the better, you know, be better, help the world be better," you're full of shit. It's a fucking advert. Um, and it is advert. One hundred percent is an advert. But then I do think fifty percent of what we do is is genuinely about just trying to help everyone be better, trying to vent some frustrations a lot of time. But I do think that the safety profession as a collective still does not respect or give YouTube and podcasting the, the due it's worth. I think if we look at the amount of podcasts we've had in the UK that have just fizzled out, um, and there's been so much good 
content put out by so many amazing creators within the safety profession that I think have just become disillusioned with it because there's just not that much return on investment or value on investment. And when I say return on investment, I don't mean just monetary. Like, I don't mean, oh, this is not converting into work. I mean, like, just general respect from from the profession, I think, and general appreciation of how much work goes into this stuff. It's not just the the thinking of the content, it's the finding of a guest maybe, or the thinking of the content alone is quite a hard thing to do. The cameras, the microphones, the editing, a lot of people pay for editors. We've just started to do that, and I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but like, we don't pay for editors for the podcast because it would just cost us too damn much. We still do that ourselves. The gear, the, all of this stuff, it's the, the time to record it. I, I still love it. I still love talking to people, but it is it is hard work. And I kind of what made me this have this realisation was... I had a phone call the other day from quite a big, I suppose you'd call him a trade body, a kind of safety trade body, so to speak. I had a phone call from one of them, and they were talking to oh, Jane, and they, they were talking, oh, how are you doing? We're catching up, blah, blah, blah. And he said, how are your conversations about the EU retained reform, whatever it's called, Bill, which I'm going to do a podcast about? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, how are the conversations that you're having going going about? And I said, if I'm honest, I, I haven't really had anyone on a podcast talk about it. Um, uh, and there's reasons for that. Um, and he went, no, no, no. I mean, like, with the bodies and stuff. I said, what do you mean? And he said, like, you're obviously being invited to groups to give your opinion on, on this stuff. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, who do you think I am? <laughs> like, um, no. Like, what? And he was like, you've got like a massive audience of, of safety professionals who, who will have an opinion on this and want to know more. Like, your opinion is valid and, and I can't believe you're not invited to the, these conversations. And I was like, mate, like, the safety profession doesn't see that. In, like, YouTube influencer, podcaster, they don't see it like that. They, they see it as free advice and, and immature, like... They don't pay any respect for, to it whatsoever. And I can't, as I was saying it, I think I was realising it as I was saying it. And, and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, look, I could fucking write a book tomorrow. I could get it up to Amazon bestseller in probably about a week. And that's not me being arrogant. There's a video on how to do it. It's that fucking easy. It's, it's that fucking easy. There's a guy... Google it. His name's Mike Winnett. I'll tell you what, we'll put it in the description. His name's Mike Winnett. He runs a channel called The Contrepreneur, and he wrote a book, and I think there's either one word on each page or it's blank, I can't remember, manages to get it to Amazon bestseller. It's that fucking easy to write a book and get it to Amazon bestseller. I know some fucking dog shit out there. But in us, in the safety profession, you write a book, you shoot up in the in the world rankings of safety professionals, right? Podcasting, YouTube. All the way down the bottom, not even respected or anything. In my opinion, in my opinion, as someone on it. Now, that's no disrespect. To people that listen to us, feedback to us. I think you respect us, and we we respect you, and I think you appreciate us, and that means a hell of a lot. But in the bodies, nah, nothing. Not even a drop in the ocean. Now, you could say maybe that's because your audience isn't big enough, James. And I, and I think that's very true. If you look over in America, it's a different world. Um, the, the channels in, in America, the podcasts in America grow a lot quicker and they grow a lot bigger. And I think that's predominantly because in that world, we 
in, in America, they respect influencers a lot more. So I think there is also a cultural kind of country-wide opinion of it. Like, it's still really uncomfortable to walk around with a camera in in England, maybe less so London, but but ultimately, or maybe some of the bigger cities, but but ultimately in America, you know, people I talk to are like, hey, it's pretty much a given here. Everyone's got a fucking camera in their hand. So it's not really socially accepted as much over here. So so that's kind of a thing, and and that's I think that's had a had a bit of a knock on as well. Is that kind of you do all of this work, and you've all of this free respect, free um, advice away. And, and when you kind of just still get nothing, no engagement and nothing from from the bodies, no kind of respect of like audience or work or anything like that, it's it's hard. It's hard. And that kind of sound like I'm you know, this is the world's smallest violin playing the saddest song just for you, James. I'm not just talking about me. I think we keep going because I'm fucking stubborn. And because I, I enjoy doing what we do in Rebound Safety, but I've seen a hell of a lot of people. I've seen a hell of a lot of people that have rang me up, asked for advice on how to start a podcast. I fucking told them they've gone and done two or three episodes and then they fizzled out. And I think it's because they realise partly that it's a lot of fucking work for, for very little respect or, or return on investment. And I think that's bad. I think that's bad. Because. We're all out here, right, talking about psychological safety, talking about cognitive diversity, talking about all of this stuff, right? Podcasting is what radio used to be. It's completely free. Opinions, advice, and, and even if you don't like the opinion or advice given on one channel or the manner in which it's given, it's a fucking good thing to have it. So we should have hundreds of fucking podcasts out there doing this, but but the fucking profession does not does not support it, and unless it's backed by one of the big bodies. So I think SHP podcasts is, is quickly become one of the bigger podcasts within safety, and that in in England that's forgetting like Australia and kind of worldwide podcasts like Todd's and Safety of Work podcasts, which do for amazing work. And they have grown phenomenally. I think what they do is respected massively because I think what we do respect is academia and what they backed up with what they do is, is academia. So it's in writing. There's stuff there that backs it up. But I wouldn't call them an influencer. I would call their podcast a channel to communicate what they really do, which is their academia and so on. An influencer for me is someone who does the job, goes on a podcast, goes on a YouTube channel, gives an opinion and starts to spread that throughout the world, kind of what you see in sport and fashion and so on, that's an influencer. What we do in safety is not really influencers. And I just, I think that's because it's not respected. And I think the day that we all start giving it some more respect, we'll see a lot more. And there are people out there that are starting to become influencers on LinkedIn and so on that could do so much more and could do better. But I'm not sure, maybe subconsciously, I'm not sure they want to. So that's part of the reason why we've also not been very consistent on rebound safety as well. The other reasons is we have just been so busy, so busy doing work, real work. <laughs> so, yeah, we have been so busy. One of the main things we've been doing is fire stuff, which is really interesting because when we started Risfant, which granted is not, a, that, not that long ago, fire was not busy. Um, we were probably, what, 
eight years on from Grenfell, really seen very little change. Um, and I'm not just talking about legislative wise, I'm talking about pop, like public opinion, demand for fire specialists and so on. And now all of a sudden, since the Fire Safety Ingham Reg, which we did a podcast about with Matt Hodges Long, seems to have sparked something. We're seeing requests from finance brokers that want someone who can do fire assessments they can pass all of their work onto because the banks are saying we're not going to lend you money on a commercial loan for a property unless that property has a fire assessment. Never before, really, has that happened. It might have happened in dribs and drabs. You might have some good banks doing that, but the amount of conversations that we're having for that type of stuff, not before. It like never has this been this level of demand. Fire strategies have always been few and far between. Actually, I'll probably say in my time of fire assessment, I've come across one good one, one. And I have done a lot of fire assessments on a lot of properties and we've come across one. In the last two weeks, we've had requests for quotes on fire strategies. God knows, I can't count how many. It's unbelievable. So that's about time. We should we should start seeing some stuff like that. Which we should start seeing more of that in properties. They're ready to go for the fire service, for the risk assessor, for the maintenance engineer, for the safety manager, whoever. They're really important documents. They're really important things to have in your property. So it's nice to start seeing that. So the question is, are people starting to take this serious now? Interesting. 70, what, 72 people passed away in Grenfell didn't have much of an impact. Really didn't. Not in the real world. We had reactions from insurers and stuff like that, but really, people on the shop floor didn't. Because ultimately we have this not going to happen to me phenomenon in our brain in that no that was just a bad building and then we saw another fire and another fire it's just oh there's a lot of bad buildings my building not a bad one so it really didn't take have the impact that i think people thought it would and ultimately there's a conversation there to be had around 70 something people pass away from grenfell tragically but ultimately there's like 100 and something people pass away from work every single year no conversation whatsoever about that no uproar no twitter campaign no nothing absolutely sometimes i feel like i'm the only fucking one that's actually trying to keep this conversation going obviously i'm not there are people out there has a campaign and more that are trying to keep that conversation but it just seems like nobody wants to have that conversation so actually i'm really not sure that death is that much of an influencer and that's really fucking horrible thing to say. I think it is if it's close to you, if you see it, if you feel it, if you touch it, you know, if it's in your workplace, if you've got a connection to it, then yes. But if you're not directly connected to it, I don't think it has an impact. And the problem is most people that make decisions are not directly and never will be directly connected to the fatality. So are people taking it seriously now? Hmm, not sure. Insurers are definitely scared of it. Lunders are definitely scared of it, which is good in a way. Insurers are definitely not helping the conversation. Um, 
I know a lot of people that are really struggling to get insurance, uh, insurance, professional indemnity insurance, that are really, really, really good fire assessors, some of which are even being forced out of the profession now because they just cannot afford to stay in. And that, frankly, is disgusting because you know who will be left? It's the shit ones. The real big companies that are doing it for like £150 a day or, or an assessment, and they're doing like eight or nine a day, and it's just shit. It's shit. And you ain't going to get good work. And what you're doing, you're forcing out these kind of semi-retired engineers that are doing it because they love it and because they're good at what they do, and they're doing it for an average or fair price, and you're forcing them out. Now, there's a big conversation here, and I've only just touched on, literally just probably introduced it to you, but PI is a really, really sensitive space right now if you're in safety, particularly fire safety. We are working quite hard behind the scenes to try and get somebody on the podcast to come and talk about this, um, because I know, particularly in the fire safety bodies, that this is a big big conversations be so we fed back to them that the struggles we've had and said look we've got a semi-big audience on the podcast uh slash youtube we would like someone to come on they actually came back and said yes which is a first from some of these big bodies so that was really nice to see uh, which is ironic because that kind of contradicts what i've just been saying about respect <laughs> um but but ultimately it looks like we're going to get someone on podcast to talk about uh pi in fire safety so if you're working in fire safety you're thinking about going into consultancy you're thinking about becoming uh, self-employed or anything like that definitely really interesting one to listen to when that comes out also i think even if you're not in those spaces i think it's really interesting for you to listen to to just see all these little things that are outside of the world that you might not be aware of if you're kind of a safety manager in a business you might not be really aware of this but you'll be able to see what the wider influences are on the world which i think is really important what else have we got uh, the government announced today they're going to invest in building control officers which is interesting um I think I feel like I'm becoming a bit like a sceptic, grumpy old man. I just think nothing's going to change. Um, will it help? It, of course, it will help more bodies on the shop floor. I'm not sure it'll have the right impact. I think it would just be like, all oh, the auditors come in quick, brush the, brush the floor kind of scenario, which we've seen for many years. You know, like, oh, a quick board that up before the boss comes around kind of scenario. I think that's the effect it will have. Hopefully not. Wait and see. You think back to like the HSE back in the day, there were so many uh, enforcement officers that they were able to partner with local businesses and so on. And that was a real good world when that was kind of happening. Will it become like that? I don't think it will, but would be nice to see. Some other bits of work we've been doing um, is on the more kind of what we call transformational side of business, the more um, working with safety teams, working with bigger businesses, and quite a lot of that as well. So did you don't know, essentially at Risk Fluent, which is kind of the the company behind Rebound and Safety, we tend to have like three types of customers. There are fire customers, building owners, things like that. we do fire strategies, fire assessment. We have what we call technical customers, which tend to be like small businesses where we become like normal safety consultant type of work. Then we have transformational customers, um, which typically are maturer kind of teams of safety typically maturer businesses that have safety teams and we're helping them become more mature essentially so depending on where that safety team is there's a mixed bag of upskilling the safety team guiding the business on where to take that safety team and so on so we've been doing this really cool bit of work with a safety team that if I'm honest, probably work at one of the nicest places I've ever been in my entire life um, beautiful place real 
people-centered feeling about this place. And this board, the board of this business, I don't think I've ever seen any board invest in safety so much. It was really interested to see. Absolutely, like, so much investment in this, and trust on this safety team. It was amazing. But yet there was this feeling of frustration from the safety team, which was fascinating. And, and it was really interesting challenge, and one that we're still going to go with for a long time, hopefully. And I think it kind of, like, it, it really showed the value of, not, not us, but anyone external that can come in and just show you these little tweaks that you might need. And and one of the things that we popped up, that we picked up, which I think many of you as safety teams, which is why I wanted to bring it up, many of you could benefit from, is really defining what you exist for in the business. You're a safety team, what is your job? Because a lot of us will be doing stuff that I don't think is the job of the safety team. So typically we might have a safety team doing induction training or little safety briefings or I don't know what else what else what else I'm trying to think of an example now I can't remember but kind of the doing of safety I'm, I'm, I've got a video about this quite old now but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's pretty much says exactly what I said in here maybe I'll double check it but it's called how to stop doing safety because I think if you've got someone who is paid like a really good salary or an average salary as a safety profession doing induction training. I think it's quite an overpaid trainer in a way because a good, well-paid safety professional so good for your business. They're like improvement consultants, essentially, and risk management specialists that are able to real kind of mold uh, and improve a business from a cultural risk management strategic point of view. And you're getting them to go out and do briefings on freaking manual handling. And I think predominantly that's because you couldn't see any other because you think that's what safety does. I'm not really sure that's where safety should be going. I feel like that was kind of more operational type stuff. So I think one of the things that you can take away is just go and have a sit down with your MD, CEO, manager, whatever, senior management team, and just really start to hash out what your skills are and, and what you could bring to the business beyond the doing of safety. Two things I do think safety should keep. Firstly, the doing of risk assessments. Now, I think part of safety's job is to declutter operations role. And I think if that means typing up the risk assessment, I don't think that's a bad thing. Oh my God, you mean safety's writing risk assessments? I don't mean sit in your office and write them up and never go out on the shop floor. I think your job is to facilitate the conversation with the people doing the job and the managers, supervisors, whatever. So you're facilitating that risk assessment, guiding them, you know, coaching the conversation, playing devil's advocate in a way. I think typing it up, managing it, monitoring it, I think I do think that's safety's job. I really do think it is. This whole conversation of like ops owning risk assessments, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure they should, if I'm honest. Now, there's a whole other conversation behind that. It's about looking at this holistically as a risk management strategy. There are parts of it that they should own. The kind of real risk assessment, the ones in the moment, totally they should own that. But this kind of What's the word I'm looking for? This kind of risk management strategy that rolls throughout the year, the two year, the three year, the quarter, whatever. I do think that should be managed by safety. And I think safety can help 
the operational team do a better job, remove the cognitive load from their brain so they're focusing on what's happening right now in the moment, I think that's a good thing. Other thing I think teams should keep and completely own is the investigation process, learning process, whatever you want to call it, off the back of an incident. So I think that's a really good thing for them to own as well. So anyway, we did a bit of this work with a customer and we got some feedback that um, they're already starting to see a benefit from that, that they feel like the weight off their shoulders, they, they can go and start doing stuff and they've had stuff sitting there for so long that they haven't touched that they were now doing which was amazing. And I think that shows the power of getting someone external to come in and just challenge thoughts and challenge uh, beliefs, tell you things that you probably knew, but you just needed to hear it from someone else. So whether you use us or whether you use someone else, I genuinely don't care, but, but try and hold a mirror up to yourself. And if you can't do that, maybe get someone from the outside to come in and talk to you. In the meantime, have conversations with your management and start to decide on what part of your role is do the safety, the doing of safety, and what part of the operations is the doing of safety. Start to build some KPIs for your department, your safety team, your role, and also what safety KPIs, so to speak, exist in the operational roles as well. And I think you'll do a hell of a lot better um, just from having that conversation. I think you'll feel better as well. So. That's probably the last two, three months of Risk Fluent. Uh, in a nutshell, I'll try to be more consistent with the diary episodes. I'll try to suck my, my feeling sorry for myself about LinkedIn uh, a little bit more. I'll try to suck that up, uh, so to speak, and, uh, and do more and be more consistent. It is challenging. We're trying to make videos like kind of vlog style throughout my day, not just because I feel cool doing vlogs, but ultimately because it's just a lot fucking easier to do it throughout my day. So hopefully you like that style because I'm going to struggle. I'm going to struggle if not. If you need any help with this stuff, um, fire, technical or transformational, please check out riskfluentltd.com. Otherwise, don't forget to like, subscribe. Also, go to riskfluentltd.com. You get some merch for rebranding safety. There's loads of stuff on there as well. Keep an eye on the website. There'll be more stuff in, uh, going on there as we grow as well. Otherwise, I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson.